I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Angelo Guy on the show. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, fine. So your dad stopped buying grapes in 1961. Yes. And that's also when you started at the winery. What was that period of time like for you? Well, I was a beginner uh, because I just uh, left the school. Uh, I was uh, 21 years old at that time. I joined the winery and uh, my father asked me, uh, instead of uh, uh, working in the cellar, he told me, why not uh, that, that uh, for me, it could be a good experience to spend the time in the vineyards. And uh, I worked for uh, almost seven years uh, in uh, vineyards. And I believe that uh, this was a very useful time for me, very profitable, because uh, I introduced my, my feet in nature. And uh, I, there was at the time a man, the name was Gino, Gino Cavallo, that was responsible of vineyards. And uh, he started uh, trying uh, to, uh, to teach me. In the same time, I went even to school to university for uh, four years. And, uh, but I had the time to uh, practice uh, viticulture. And uh, the school of uh, this uh, Gino, this uh, man that was charged having uh, taken care of our vineyards, uh, was precious for me. And I learned. Uh, what did I learn? What did I, I learned apparently some... Uh, I learned some steps that uh, could seem uh, uh, not useful for me because uh, uh, I never would have had to do uh, this kind of work, uh, working uh, manually in the vineyards and so on. But uh, I, uh, I started understanding more about the time that uh, work uh, needed to be done. For us, that uh, we are artisans, craft people, is important even to understand the kind of work that our people is doing in the vineyard and how the work can be done in, in a right way. We don't work with the cooperatives workers that are many, many wineries are used to do and that they can do perfectly and so on. But we prefer to have our own people and train these people in a way having them doing the work in our way. is I don't say that is the better way, but it's our way, you know. And the being artisan, this is important. So 
the school that I had at that time was uh, very useful for me to understand uh, the way uh, of uh, doing and so on. And uh, the uh, uh, Gino, the, uh, the man that was uh, charged to teach me, uh, he had uh, even a sense of uh, humor uh, beside the rigor. And uh, uh, some time for him, uh, uh, I was not good enough, uh, and he was uh, uh, asking me to spend more energy, more time, more dedication, that this was uh, indispensable to know uh, the work that he was used uh, uh, doing and so on. So this was a good school for me, and there are three factors in uh, making the quality of a wine. The soil, the grape variety, and the weather. Well, during the life of a vineyard, the grape variety stays always the same. Uh, if the vineyard is planted Cabernet Sauvignon or Chardonnay or Nebbiolo, will always stay the same. The terroir, the land, if the land is a good terroir, is ready, capable in producing excellent grapes and excellent wine. During the life of the vineyard, the land is always the same. The soil is always the same. The big variation is in climate, because uh, with excellent weather conditions, it's possible to make beautiful grapes and excellent wine. With very bad weather conditions, or hail, or a lot of, of rain during harvest season and so on, can be a disaster, and the quality is not there. So because uh, I started really, really, really realizing the importance of weather, and that weather belongs to nature. And uh, there is nothing to do. Uh, we can uh, try to work in our in, in the best way that is possible uh, for a, a grape grower and after to be uh, submitted to the variation of, of weather. Till the uh, mid-90s, uh, weather in our region was uh, quite often during harvest time, a lot of rain and the rain were damaging less or more the grapes. So quality was unpredictable, not, not, not easy. I remember that normally in the 60s decade, in the 70s decade, in 80 decade, the bad vintages were three, four out of 10. Today, after that we are living in a time that probably there is a variation in weather uh, today that uh, uh, I don't know if I can uh, talk about the climate change, but something is, is modifying in the weather in, in the vineyard and the consequences are different. So today that we have much more uh, dry and hot uh, summertime and during uh, autumn is not raining like it was used in the past, there is a much more uh, opportunity of producing grapes of a certain level of quality and the consistency and repeating the quality. So this is a good aspect of uh, what is uh, happening now with uh, climate change. The, the, there is even a less good as aspect and it means that uh, parasites are becoming more aggressive. The uh, growing season starts earlier, uh, the harvest time starts uh, uh, earlier and uh, quite often there is an increase of sugar in the grapes and increase of, of alcohol and this is another aspect that uh, because we don't like manipulate wine and <laughs> how to avoid, how to limit uh, the uh, uh, increase of alcohol in the wine. We have to work more in the vineyards and to know more and so on. And I believe that we will be able to, to reduce and to, to have more control in our grapes. The greatest vintage for, was for me the first, and I was a beginner, it was 61. 
absolutely in uh, one was considered one of the greatest uh, villages. Sixty-two was good, the same was not the same, was very good, but. Um, uh, the because the sixty one was uh, so uh, great uh, and the consumers uh, didn't take care of the sixty two that was an excellent vintage sixty three was difficult not easy vintage sixty four uh, again a quite a very good vintage with a large crop sixty one had a very very short crop and the quality was had a fantastic concentration beautiful uh, wine and so on sixty four the the crop was much higher the quality excellent not at the same level of sixty one but very good and after we had two vintages in a row sixty five and sixty six very difficult the quality was not there, uh, less than average uh, vintage. And uh, 67 again, a good one, not great, but a good wine. And after another two difficult vintages, 68 and 69. And finally reaching uh, 70, that was another very good vintage, and 71, a greatest one. So did that difference between 61 and 64 partially convince you that you needed to reduce yields? Because it was the bigger no, crop. This was already the, the concept of reducing or taking care of uh, yields was already a concept of my father, not me. Not me. Uh, I wasn't prepared. I had uh, no her experience. I was lucky because uh, I had him like a teacher. And uh, for me, it was very, very, very important experience. Despite uh, my father was not used uh, to tell me or to teach me. Not because he was jealous at all, but because uh, he thought that uh, I had to know things. For him, it was uh, so normal, you know, uh, the way uh, he was uh, thinking that uh, he couldn't understand uh, that I could think in a different way. So for him, so I had, in effect, to stole the uh, uh, knowledges uh, from him. Um, it's quite different what I do now with my children because I have uh, two daughters and a boy that are in the winery working with us, with me. So we are actually five, even my wife. We don't, we, we have no other activity. Uh, we don't, uh, the, the only work that we do full time is uh, uh, our doing uh, our uh, work in terms of uh, wine producers and uh, selling the wine in the market and producing grapes and so on. So investi- uh, uh, taking care of, of, of this and so on, but, uh, but, but full time. So now uh, I try to to transfer to my uh, children as much as possible. And I try to talk as much as possible to them. And I believe that it's important in a way uh, to uh, help them to recuperate the kind of, of culture or experiences that I had in my life. Uh, my father didn't do it this way. But I repeat, uh, because uh, uh, it was a, a different attitude. So, and uh, I had uh, for me, in effect, uh, working uh, not full time because uh, uh, for uh, uh, almost four years I went to university and so on, but uh, uh, I had um, quite good time to learn uh, there in the vineyards. And it's only seven years after uh, that I had the chance of entering the cellar. So, about your question about the crop, the, the yield. My father was the first at the time in Piedmont to understand that it was important for producing the quality grapes and the quality wine. It was important to afford sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices? First of all, to take care, to take control of quantity, of yield. So asking time to time to his workers to, to do all the steps in a, in a way to take a control of a quantity, of yield. So reducing the quantity. At that time, 
This was an attitude unthinkable, difficult to understand for workers, because the 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 crop, the natural crop, was given by nature, by God. Why to reduce? Why to take control? That everybody needed that, you know, adding mind the quantity and so on. So I remember that my father had uh, was not e- not easy, not easy to ask Gino, uh, the responsible of vineyards, to be careful starting planting a vineyard, uh, trying to use uh, rootstock or uh, Nebbiolo a variety uh, more adaptable to have low uh, vigor and the producing less. Uh, if uh, perhaps after uh, the flowering time the production was uh, too big, uh, starting to do and to, to reduce the number of benches, but this was uh, very, very difficult uh, to have uh, people at the time understanding uh, because the concept and the idea that the quality was made by a, a crop not too big, not too high, and so on, was at the time uh, rare, not understood like today. And even another kind of sacrifice that he did many times, uh, in occasion of bad vintages, because bad weather during the growing season, it was available not to bottle the wine and selling the wine entirely in bulk. What, what did it mean at the time? <laughs> Losing uh, 80% of, of, uh, of your money, you know, uh, was a big loss. But uh, he was very severe with himself and had a lot of rigor. And uh, uh, doing that, I believe that uh, he uh, gave the, the chance to uh, Gaia consumers, uh, the consumers of our wine, to find in the market always uh, high-quality wines because he refused to bottle the uh, low quality. So often the, uh, um, the consumers don't know about the weather conditions. Uh, they don't know about, you know, the, the, the quality of... But uh, doing the sacrifice that he did and refusing to bottle wines sometime two, three, four vintages out of ten, this uh, became uh, uh, for him in long term a big advantage comparing other uh, wine producers. And your grandmother was quite important in your life early on. Well, I believe that uh, is important for uh, for me, but not only for me, for a lot of people. It's important to, you, you need to have teachers, you know. And uh, if uh, the uh, condition is uh, continuing doing the family business, you have to have someone uh, teaching you. And uh, I was lucky because in the family, my two big teachers were a grandmother and my father. Grandmother was born in 1880, and uh, when I joined the winery in 61 is the, the year that uh, she died, uh, but I was 21 years old. So I had the time to learn by her when I was uh, younger, and uh, till 21 years old. And uh, I believe that uh, her lessons were quite important. The first very important one is uh, uh, when uh, I was 11 years old and I was with her in Barbaresco because I grew up I grew up in Alba that is a town is the main town of uh, Lange district and it's a town far uh, seven miles from Barbaresco and I had the chance in uh, uh, the month I remember of August at the end of August before starting school in uh, September uh, to spend some time with the grandmother and I was doing my homework you know to do the work that the student are used to doing uh, during uh, vacation and so on and uh, she uh, uh, had to take a, a control to have a, a look to my uh, homework so uh, I was seated 
and uh, she was back me and uh, she asked me what do you like to do in your life i was 11 years old i had no idea at all what to do uh, how to give her an answer and i didn't uh, i didn't give an answer and she repeated i stay silent and finally she said to me look uh, in your life you have to become an artisan and to become an artisan there are four steps and you have to follow these four steps the four steps are fare saper fare saper far fare far sapere she told me even in france because uh, she studied in chambery the capital of sawa and uh, she became school teacher and she learned very well uh, france and she said me even uh, repeated even to me in france faire savoir faire savoir faire faire I had no idea this uh, word. And she explained me. Fair mean, fare means uh, to do. Everybody in life have uh, to do something. To, to make money, to, to eat, uh, to spend time, uh, to, uh, to have an occupation. To do sometimes with passion, some other time uh, no passion. But the saper fare, um, to, to reach the know-how, to have the know-how. So this uh, is a specific of, of artisan. Artisan is someone uh, in different fields, uh, in all uh, kind of uh, work activity and so on, is a guy that uh, has a project. And he has a project in his mind and is his own project. And he likes to make the project in his way. Sometimes can be successful, some other time not, because is uh, principally for him and uh, taking care of his uh, project, spending time to, uh, to know, to understand all details in a way to improve the quality of his uh, project and so on, and uh, with the passion and dedicating and so on, maybe that uh, sometime it happens that uh, he can uh, be successful in his uh, uh, work. And uh, at that time, uh, in Italy, we say that uh, after time, he will become a maestro. Uh, and uh, this uh, is the third step, saper far fare, to teach how. So it means uh, to teach how to reach the know-how to uh, uh, his collaborators, to his uh, uh, children, uh, to his family, and so on. And finally, it's not finished. It's important uh, the uh, far sapere, to transmit the knowledge in a way that the consumers, the people that uh, has a benefit uh, of the work uh, of artisan, uh, can understand the work and the communication, marketing, call as you like. So I was 11 years old. Uh, grandmother told me that I had no idea. I, I couldn't understand. I had no idea. I remember that uh, she wrote me on a piece of paper that I lost, unfortunately. But after my grandmother repeated me many times, and uh, my father uh, repeated to me, so my teachers, my, my grandmother and my father, my, my grandmother, I remember always about uh, uh, this uh, concept. It, to become an artisan, you have uh, to, to take care of uh, saper fare, saper far fare, e far sapere. And uh, so grandmother, principally, I believe that uh, really for me was uh, a great teacher, a woman with the rigor, uh, smiling rarely, uh, was a, a special woman. I, uh, frankly, I was intimidated by her. 
I, uh, but uh, she was a great teacher for me. And and after I had my father, that was uh, my uh, that I lived with because my father died in uh, 2002 and uh, uh, was active in the uh, winery till uh, 92, 93. So absolutely, I, I despite I had to stole my uh, my uh, knowledge by him uh, because he was not used uh, telling and so on, but was a great and he had uh, so many ideas that still today are uh, have a value. And uh, even he was the first uh, in 1937 introducing uh, in uh, a winery a label that was uh, a new one uh, with a new concept absolutely in uh, my region with the brand Gaia with our family name written uh, three centimeter uh, written big on the top of the label. This was absolutely unusual. Was a concept I never seen before. And it was the beginning of a, of a, a new uh, concept. And why he did that? Because he thought, absolutely true, that uh, who drinks wine, the consumer, has to know who's the guy back that produces wine. Uh, so the, the brand name became a guarantee uh, of a quality, became a guarantee of a method, of a philosophy, of a way of making wine. So quite important. And he was in my region, the first to start this concept in 1937, when at the time it was in Piedmont totally, totally unknown. At the time, the uh, uh, the wineries were in the hand of negotiants of uh, um, bigger producers that didn't own uh, vineyards, just buying grapes, making wine, and selling wine. My father was one of the first in in the area to produce wines exclusively by his own grape. So for him, the project started already in the vineyards and the taking care of of, of the crop, of yield, and so on. Working in in a way uh, to be guaranteed to have to have the guarantee of producing a quality grapes and after seller and after uh, selling the wine. To be a grower producer. Yes, absolutely. Was grower. a new thing. Uh, to be a state, you know, to be uh, to have a control. Having the control starting by uh, vineyards. There was a an enologist that your father had hired that retired in 1970. Uh, yes, because uh, the, the name was Luigi Rama, was a, a man that uh, produced wine for my father for a long time. And uh, a talented man with a lot of experience. Uh, he was not a really, a, 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 he didn't go to school, but uh, he had a practice. He, he, he knew all about it. And uh, his way of making uh, wine was corresponding exactly to uh, the feeling and the idea of my father. So uh, when I joined the winery, uh, our family business in 61, and I told you that I spent seven years in uh, vineyards, is only in 60 at the end of 68, uh, beginning 69, that I entered in the cellar to work with, beside my father, uh, winemaker. And uh, he was already 65 or 66 years old. And uh, uh, he, uh, he, he liked his even to retire. So in, uh, in a relatively short time, I uh, look for a, a young uh, winemaker, the name Guido Rivella, that was a native from Barbaresco. And uh, Guido Rivella joined the winery in March 70. And uh, for the first two, three years, he worked beside the older one, uh, Luigi Rama, and after he went on. 
And he had gone to the same school of analogy that you had. Yes, exactly. Because uh, uh, I went to school to Alba, like him, but uh, uh, he, in effect, was responsible of a Gaia cellar for 45 years because he worked there for 45 years. And uh, incredible and very talented uh, uh, man. And I believe that uh, I have to recognize the quality of uh, Gaia wines was uh, largely due to his work. He did very well. And even he helped, uh, he had an assistant. Uh, the name is Alessandro Albarello, that uh, now is winemaker at Gaia Winery because uh, uh, Guido Rivella retired uh, two years ago, despite his uh, still uh, time to time uh, coming to the winery and overlooking, having, having an, an interest, uh, and I'm very happy about uh, that, but uh, not, uh, he, he doesn't give me uh, the uh, full time, uh, his full time work after 45 years, of course. And uh, uh, now he has uh, even uh, for himself uh, a, a small winery producing excellent wine and uh, an agriturismo, uh, you know. Uh, we grew up together, you know. And uh, It seemed like a little brother for uh, you. Yes, yes. A little exactly. bit, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so, in effect, I went to the same school of him, but uh, he was responsible of the cellar. You kind of both started together in the cellar. Yes, in 70. So we grew up uh, uh, together, and I believe that my work was absolutely in terms of uh, being uh, the owner of uh, the company. So the responsibility was of Guido Rivella, and he knew all the the different aspects in the uh, winery. But with me... Uh, with my taste and uh, uh, I, I try to, to inspire even him of course to do in uh, what sorry it was my way you know the way of the artisan yes and uh, never we had the conflict sometime of course it could happen that uh, yes like in a, in a, in a, in a, in a marriage you know but uh, was a perfect situation and the collaboration we worked very well what was important for me even was uh, because my father didn't know languages. So my father pushed me at the end of the 60s, beginning 70s, to go outside and uh, to reach new markets and uh, to reach new experiences because uh, traveling is the best way to learn. So I started uh, traveling and having experiences and the knowing and talking to people and so on. I, what, what a fantastic experience. I remember always in 74 when I met Robert Mondavi, you know, and talking to him, it was, it was contagious because he was doing a lot of experience in a way to uh, uh, increase the perception of the California wines and the making a better quality wines and so on and the steps that he did and so on. So I believe that at that time uh, in the 70s when uh, I started the traveling, and uh, I had uh, much more the perception and uh, my knowledge is increased. And uh, this was a, an experience that my, my father never had. And uh, for me, it was quite useful. And uh, I, I knew new teachers, you know, or new people even that I could uh, capture some experience and uh, creating uh, my uh, knowledge and so on. But again, was uh, my father that uh, pushed me and he, he said, me, because honestly, at the time, Barbaresco and Barolo, were two wines uh, not so well understood in the market. And uh, apparently it seemed that especially the, uh, the market outside from Europe could be difficult to accept uh, similar wines because it belonged more to a, a culture that uh, uh, we had in, in, in 
uh, Europe, the culture of terroir, of course, at that time, the culture of uh, indigenous grape variety that could produce uh, special wine, original wine. The, the idea that uh, this uh, uh, originality has uh, to be uh, protected and uh, maintained, absolutely, because uh, is uh, something that uh, gives uh, is a specialty for a wine uh, that gives a special character. But uh, beside that, uh, if you have a wine that is different uh, because of its originality and so on, and after it's important to, to teach people how to drink uh, and how to use. So it, it seemed that uh, uh, not because we were uh, underestimated uh, uh, U.S. people that. Uh, uh, <laughs> now uh, it's not by chance that it's the most important market for premium wine in the world, the US. But at that time, it seemed to be difficult to uh, introduce this uh, kind of wines, uh, even Bruno de Montalcino or Amarone and so on, uh, Barbaresco, Barolo, outside from Europe. It seemed that uh, our cradle, the, the area that uh, could accept more our wines, was uh, Europe. But my father. Uh, 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 forced me and he told uh, look uh, you have to explore and so on and this was another was a step for me quite important uh, knowing at that time in uh, I remember that uh, in 74 I was uh, in uh, Napa and uh, I visited uh, Mondavi uh, Zelman Ong was a winemaker there uh, and uh, for me it was a very good experience uh, uh, meeting her and after she went to work at uh, Simi Winery and so on well, in occasion on my first trip, I had the chance of visiting a winery in Sonoma, the name Hansel, H-A-N-Z-E-L-L. I was uh, surprised. At the time, the owner of uh, Hansel was uh, von Zellerbach. Uh, he was a previous uh, U.S. ambassador in uh, Paris. And he loved so much the uh, Burgundy, Burgundian wines that uh, in a project to retire, he liked to uh, have a winery in Sonoma producing uh, uh, wines similar to uh, Burgundy wines. So Pinot Noir, planting Pinot Noir and the Chardonnay and uh, uh, producing wine with, in a tiny, in a small uh, winery with uh, uh, tiny equipment. And I was, uh, I was surprised about uh, this uh, concept, uh, this idea. So in a time that... Uh, in the United States, it was booming the interest for, especially for Cabernet Sauvignon. But this was a delicate wine and not easy and so on. And after I saw the process of uh, American producers, uh, smart, they learn. And, and they looked uh, for an area uh, close to the sea. Uh, so they discovered uh, Carneros for uh, planting uh, uh, Pinot Noir. And after uh, they went uh, to Mendocino and uh, close to the uh, Pacific uh, coast. And after they discovered uh, Santa Rita, Santa Ines and so on. But uh, Hansel for me was uh, something that uh, starting uh, opening me the mind and uh, having uh, even curiosity for uh, some uh, international grape variety that never we had in my region. So the idea was uh, first uh, to plant even uh, uh, because the dream uh, for uh, many uh, producers uh, in uh, producing uh, premium red wines in some area is uh, why not to have the chance even of producing a premium white wine. I, I started to cultivate uh, in the early 70s, uh, uh, after 74, 75, the dream, the idea in uh, producing a white wine in a small quantity, having uh, in Lange 
And I looked to uh, looking to a grape variety that already in the world was able in the producing uh, through this uh, variety great wines. Chardonnay uh, did it, and uh, uh, we decided finally to plant a vineyard of uh, Chardonnay in uh, uh, 1979. At that time. And uh, even uh, having a, a, a barrel aging. Sure, for, which is uh, what Hansel did, right? Yes, they got yes, in French exactly, wood. Exactly. So. And uh, we did. Uh, in some way, we were successful. Was was a, And this was an idea that uh, my father hadn't. Uh, because even for him, uh, he was, uh, I don't say reluctant. He uh, didn't, uh, um, it, it was not against the idea of uh, planting uh, a Chardonnay vineyard. Uh, but uh, for him, uh, it seemed to be a loss of time uh, because uh, uh, for him, uh, the wine had one only color, red. So he couldn't understand why to, why to plant uh, a Chardonnay uh, 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 vineyard. And I remember that I told him that uh, this uh, could be because Lange, uh, my district, uh, has a beautiful uh, land and I am a believer in this land and uh, that could be possible uh, despite uh, we had no experience before. But... Uh, it was something that was not uh, for him of special interest. For me, uh, in effect, it was the result even to plant a Chardonnay of experiences that I had in a different part of the world, even in the United States. So this gave me. And we, we were lucky because the wine had a success and so on, went on and so on. And even we planted the year before a small vineyard of Cabernet Sauvignon. This I had... It was more difficult to convince my father to give me the chance of doing this step. Despite my father never, uh, we we uh, we never fighted. We had I, I never had uh, problems with uh, my father. Despite uh, we could think in a different way, but he was very tolerant, and he taught me tolerance. Very important. Even uh, running a company, having uh, your uh, collaborators and so on, uh, being respectful and uh, being able to contrast with arguments, you know, with uh, and to convince if they are if people doesn't think like 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 me in my, my company, I have to be able uh, to uh, to convince them with ideas and so on. If not, I have to accept, you know, or to modify my ideas and so on. So my father, uh, even uh, in uh, having respect over this uh, concept of tolerance, and uh, uh, despite uh, he didn't like the idea of uh, planting a, a red a grape variety such as Cabernet Sauvignon, never planted before in the past in Piedmont, uh, in the in the in the in the last century, not in the past, never never planted before. And uh, so he, he tried to to give me advices. Look, uh, we have already. It was it was right. We have already uh, Nebbiolo is our king red variety planted in Piedmont for eight hundred years. Why you need to plant a Cabernet Sauvignon that we have already a king uh, red variety? But finally, because he was insisting, at the end he gave me the permit. So this is very important a step. So he gave me the chance of having a project for myself. So for children that are entering and doing work in a family business, especially in artisanal family business, the, the parents that are still in the company have to understand that you cannot oblige children to follow and to do my project. You have to leave them to give their own project. 
and uh, you know and uh, to have to be uh, to try uh, to give them uh, good advices uh, if you believe that uh, is not good to try to tell all the reasons why is not good but if they at the end they like to have this and to go on with the project this is their project you cannot contrast it till at the end you have to leave it you know so my father understood that this was a good lesson that I have for my children too so to understand that creating a continuity going on by generation is quite important to give children the chance of cultivating of having their own project so we planted the Cabernet Sauvignon and so on so it sounds to me like you saw that Robert Mondavi planted Cabernet in Napa and that people started to, at that time, then to start to talk about Napa as a great wine region in yes. the world. Yes. And then Hansel planted Chardonnay yes. in Sonoma and yes. people started to talk yes. about Sonoma as a yes. great wine region. Yes. And they weren't talking about Piemonte in the world, Yes. but you thought it was a good wine region. So you thought, if I plant Chardonnay and Cabernet, maybe people will talk about this region as a great region in the world. Yes, exactly. Because because Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon are more known in the market than wines made by Nebbiolo grapes, with Cabernet and Chardonnay are planted everywhere. So what does it mean? That it means that consumers have more the knowledge of the taste and are more acceptable, more ready to accept a, a, a taste of Cabernet Chardonnay made in another area that, that they can recognize more difficult to understand the taste of an indigenous grape variety never heard before, you know. Uh, so the idea of planting a small quantity, uh, having a small vineyard surface of international grape variety could be a, a marketing strategy, you know, in a way to be accepted if the uh, uh, wines made in my area, in my winery, produced by Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon, could be original, could be uh, something uh, special in terms of quality. This could be a good message in a way to reach the attention of uh, international uh, consumers and after introducing to them uh, Barbaresco and Barolo uh, uh, easier, you know, this could be a, a, an idea. And uh, my father didn't, yes, he didn't like the idea of uh, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. And uh, for what concern uh, the Chardonnay, <laughs> for him, uh, uh, white wine was nothing, you know. So he told me, do you like to plant? Okay, do. Uh, in, for, for Cabernet Sauvignon, a little bit of more resistant, but never fighting together. And at the same time, when you made those new bottlings, you named one, partly it's named after one of your daughters, another white wine is named after your other daughter. Well, uh, about the names, uh, we never uh, gave a geographical name to our... Uh, why? Because uh, some geographical way can, uh, um, can mean uh, nothing special for me. Uh, no, Barbaresco and Barolo, of course, uh, have, are uh, very special in the, in the appellation. But uh, uh, names of a smaller uh, region in the area, for me, were, for me it was more important uh, to give names to our wines that uh, can uh, have a relation with uh, some uh, sentimental aspect, uh, some history, something belonging, uh, you know, uh, the way that we were there. So 
We dedicated the names, for example, to my grandmother, Sorry Tilding. Uh, Tilding was the nickname of my uh, grandmother, Clotilde Rey, and uh, Clotilde, uh, Tilde, Tilding. So the wine was in some way dedicated to her and uh, other names uh, that uh, belonged to uh, our history and uh, oh, our way to be in, in being there. For me, it was more important that uh, a geographical name smaller that uh, couldn't be uh, less important. So what about Spares? What was that purchase like for you in Saralona? Spares uh, uh, was the last uh, uh, buy that, uh, uh, important buy that we did in Saralunga in uh, 1988. <laughs> this uh, Spares is a special meeting and for me is uh, is absolutely was the first step outside the uh, Barbaresco uh, area. So I born uh, in Alba. At the time, my winery, like today, is uh, based in Barbaresco. But at the time, we owned exclusively land for producing Barbaresco wine. Well, I tell you the story of Spares. My father, when he was 17, 18, 19 years old, uh, because he went to school in Torino, uh, far from Barbaresco, 35 miles, and he, uh, he studied there. And when he was there, going to school uh, at the third, fourth, fifth year, my grandmother, his mother, went to his professor in Torino, asking him to have the chance of having Giovanni, her son, at home during the month of October. It was school time. And initially, the, uh, the professor was reluctant uh, telling uh, uh, to my, my grandmother, but you know, losing one month is uh, too much and so on. But after he realized that uh, my father was a very good student and that, that even losing a month could recuperate after. So at the end, told that, okay, gave the permit. So my father for three years, when he was 17, 18, 19 years old, spent one month of October in Piedmont harvesting grapes. And the harvest was, for the first 10 days, he was used to spending the time in Barbaresco with the care of his mother, my, my grandmother, Clotilde Rey. Clotilde Rey was very severe, and she was used asking my father to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Despite it was still dark, uh, and that there was no needing of getting up so early and so on, but this was like military. So get up at six o'clock and after to go to work at eight uh, harvesting and harvesting all the day and having a small lunch and uh, only at uh, six or seven o'clock to have a, a dinner and the dinner was for all the workers there all together and uh, during uh, they were used at the time even to invite uh, harvesters you know other people to harvest and so on normally were younger people and often were younger girls and this was an occasion, you know, to familiarize, to know uh, uh, girls and to, for male and to talk together and so on. So they, they were used after dinner uh, to spend some time talking together, the, uh, the people uh, that, uh, and the girls uh, and the laughing and talking and so on, normal, like it does everywhere in the world. But my grandmother asked Giovanni, her son, to go to bed at nine o'clock. So this, despite was the time eventually to spend with, he couldn't. Uh, the rule was for grandmother, go to bed. So, and he was, he was used to having a room that had the windows on the square below 
where he could hear the girls and the other talking and laughing and so on till at 11 o'clock, um, sometime midnight, but he had to stay in bed. And even no tip. So it was very severe. This uh, And the grandmother was very strict, rigorous. But after these 10 or 12 days, he had the permit to go uh, in uh, another area in Barolo district, in a small village called Seralunga, to harvest grapes there in a family that were very good friends of my grandmother. And normally it was used spending there 15 days of October. But there was a paradise because he could get up when he liked. He uh, uh, was uh, treated like a prince. He had uh, some tip. And uh, after dinner, he could spend uh, the time as uh, he, he liked, uh, and even in the in the square, talking and laughing with girls and so on uh, till midnight, one o'clock. So this was a paradise. And he started thinking that this uh, was a fantastic vineyard, a beautiful place. And he started dreaming, uh, how can I, if uh, I ever to to go outside and to, to buy a vineyard outside from uh, Barbaresco uh, district, I would like to buy this vineyard. And he had always in mind this vineyard. And this is a, is a great piece of land that belonged to uh, uh, people that uh, had this land for a long time. You know, the great terroir are not in cell, are rarely are in cell. And when the great were arrive in cell, if you like to buy, you have to be ready at that time and bind. If not, you lose the occasion and uh, and you will have to <laughs> wait 50 or 60 years before. So it happened that uh, uh, my father looked uh, carefully to buy this land. And in his approach, it was if, if uh, uh, for him, for my father, he was thinking that if he had to buy a piece of land outside the Barbaresco area, in Barolo area, had to be this. But this is impossible, you know, to cultivate this idea. was. In fact, by the time, he had many offers to buy a piece of land in Barolo district, not that one, not this one, and always refused, because for him, only this piece had to be. So he, he was unsuccessful. I was at in Italy. A Sunday afternoon, we had a booth uh, full of people. I was uh, tired, full of people, a confusion. And this uh, was uh, uh, April 88. And uh, I had, uh, I had uh, a friend of mine, a broker, that uh, joined me in the uh, booth, my booth, had been Italy, uh, in 88. And he told me, there is a, a piece of land in sale in the Barolo district. And I told him, look, uh, I have no time. I have so many, and uh, uh, I will be back. Uh, this was a Sunday. I will be back on, on uh, Wednesday when uh, the, the fair will be finished, and uh, I will call you and so on. Okay. But before leaving, uh, I asked him, but sorry, where, in uh, uh, which village? And he told me, at the land to sell is in Seralunga. In Seralunga? Where? And he told me exactly the vineyard that my father had the dream of buying and for all his life. My God, <laughs> was like an electricity. And I told him, look, just a minute. If it's for this piece of land, I can come back tomorrow, Monday, 
and I would like to have the chance of meeting these people and to be prepared to them eventually to sell. And I came back on Monday, and the Monday uh, late evening, I met the owners and they signed the deal. And I bought, I bought the property without visiting the property. I didn't go to visit the property. I just, uh, I, I bought on the paper. And we called this uh, piece of land uh, to make uh, the wine that my father was dreaming and so on. And that, uh, we call the wine Spears, S-P-E-R-S-S. It's, it's a Piedmontese dialect word that means nostalgia. Nostalgia. Nostalgia what? Nostalgia, this nostalgia that my father had for years because he dreamed to have the chance of buying this piece of land where he was used harvesting the grapes when he was 17, 18 years old. And after, finally, I could buy this piece of land and we called the wine spares nostalgia because in, in memory of him. He was very happy because he was alive at the time when in 88 and he was an enthusiast and so on. So for me, the, the name, the geographical name of the area is Marenka Erivette. But for me, Marenka Rivette, Spurs had much more meaning, you know, because back there is an history, there is a, a feelings, there is a, a, a dream that they belong to my father and myself. You also started an import business. And yes. I imagine that you met some key figures in the international wine community during that time. You imported DRC, you imported yes. Vegas Sicilia to yeah. Italy. Yeah. Yes, well, uh, this was a little bit unusual for an Italian uh, wine producer. In effect, I had the chance of uh, becoming importer of uh, DRC uh, wines in uh, 1977. I was uh, uh, not uh, absolutely not known at the time in the uh, U.S. market, and I was a little bit uh, uh, embarrassed. Uh, coming to the United States, and because sometimes uh, wine writers were knowing that I was. Uh, through a company called the Gaia Distribution, that we were the importers of the DRC. We, we sometimes we, we I became more important for being recognized as importer of the DRC wine that for Gaia, you know. But a little bit embarrassing because I was having reflect an image that in effect didn't belong to me. But okay, yes, it's true. We started opening a company for importing and distributing. Wines from different countries, even from the United States and so on. We became importer of Mondavi. And, and uh, it was another chance of learning. Because when uh, a wine producer like me, uh, but at the time that I was uh, 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 introduced in uh, a, a winery, that we were we started importing the wine. So I entered there like an importer, not like a, a, a wine producer. And the, the, the winery was more available to open me uh, and to tell me about the, their strategy, you know. Uh, Sometimes it may be that for a colleague that can be seen like a competitor, uh, probably they are a little bit more. But uh, for someone that is uh, uh, entering and asking and so on, like an importer is different. And this was another good opportunity for me to learn a little bit in a different area, different countries, different wine producers and so on. This was good. So let me ask you, you have both holdings in Barbaresco, Barbaresco, and in Trezo, but none in Neve, right? We have a, a property in Barbaresco, Trezo, and Alba, no in Neve. What are the differences between 
growing in Trezo? Is it higher elevation? In Trezo, we, uh, we own a vineyard in an area that is called the Paiore, that uh, is uh, not uh, the highest one uh, in, uh, in the highest area of, of uh, Trezo, that uh, Barbaresco is at, at 270 meters uh, sea level, and the Trezo is uh, 450. Uh, but the Paiore is at 350, a little bit lower. And the more we have a, a piece of land there at the close of 400, 420 meters, that we planted Gallaray, the Chardonnay. So in the past, uh, Trezo was uh, considered for the higher land uh, till 500 meters, not uh, proper for uh, planting uh, Nebbiolo grapes. Today, probably or in future, it will be possible. But uh, so to uh, give an answer to your question, so, okay, we have a vineyard in Trezo, partially in Nebbiolo and uh, Chardonnay and uh, in Barbaresco Fours and in Alba. You have Pajore, right? Yeah, we have Pajore, yes, exactly. That's the old Moresco. That's the Cedar Moresco. Yes, this, this belonged to a family that uh, the name was Giovannini Moresco that was used already producing uh, uh, wines uh, from there and so on. And after I bought uh, there the property in 79, I bought uh, first uh, 50% and I ran the, his uh, rest at 50% and after seven years he sold me even the other 50%. And uh, today we are the total order of uh, the property of uh, Giovannini Moresco. And you made the wine for two vintages. And I made uh, for him the wine, uh, yes, in 78 and 79. Yes, right. And what no was... All. What, what, thanks. Uh, what was he like? As a person, what was he like? I believe that uh, the, the wine produced by him uh, had a very good image. And even he was uh, a good promoter of his wine because uh, he liked it very much. Uh, he was uh, a gourmet. He liked uh, the good food. And he was used to going in uh, having... Um, very good friend in some excellent restaurants where he was used to giving his wine and and this wine was appreciated and so on. So it went on quite well. But after he decided to sell and I could buy and I bought, yes. May I ask you about some of the other sort of key and historical figures of the Barbaresco zone over the years yes, that you may have ask. known? Because I've never met. Uh, so Giacosa in person, yes. well, what's he like? I believe that uh, he's uh, one of the best uh, wine producers that is uh, in the area. He's a great guy. Uh, he started working uh, that he was 16 years old in uh, 1946. And he started working with his father that was a, a grape broker. And he learned to become a, a grape broker, selling grapes of other producers for almost 14 years, uh, till 1960 that finally decided to open his own winery. But by the time, he became the best grape taster in the area. Uh, his father was a, already a broker. And uh, to be a broker, apparently what was more important was uh, to be able to convince who sells uh, something uh, to find uh, a deal with uh, who buys, you know. And uh, so it's more important to be a good talker, you know, than a, a taster. But he, he was absolutely, uh, he became a great a grape taster, one of the few, absolutely. And he was able probably at that time because he had the chance of visiting different vineyards of different proprietors and not only to find the buyer and just to find the way of doing a deal, but even for him it was important to know about the quality of grapes. And he became, I repeat, a grape taster and so on. And I believe that for the first, in the decade, 60s, 70s and 80s, he took a lot of benefit in having this activity because it was able even to keep for him probably the best uh, grapes available 
because he was smart, he was able for the grapes that he was used buying to pay at the higher price, and he was very smart, very, very correct, doing well. And uh, it took a lot of benefit of his experience of a grape taster in making wine as negotiant for a long time. But this was the time that the large majority of grapes were arriving on the market, almost 90% or 80% of grapes. Today, the large, a lot of people that was used to selling grapes to him became a wine producer, you know? So there is no more chance of, for a negotiant to do the same work that he did in, at the time. And in effect, he started buying land 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and making wine. Uh, he's not in a perfect health today, uh, Bruno Giacosa, is uh, one of the monuments of the area, and he has a daughter that is quite talented, and that today is able to run the winery quite good. And Armando Cordero, when he was making Barbaresco for Franco Fiorina, well, did you see him buying grapes? Yes, this uh, uh, Franco Fiorina was another negotiant. Uh, uh, Franco Fiorina never owned the land, uh, vineyards, but uh, he, uh, through this uh, uh, Franco Cordero, a winemaker of excellent uh, capability, uh, knowledge, taste, taste. And uh, uh, Cordero worked there for a long time at uh, Franco Fiorina till Franco Fiorina sold the winery. And uh, he was a good selector of uh, a grape variety. But in effect, uh, he had not the same knowledge. This party was a great connoisseur. But uh, Giacosa, that was used to doing, being a broker before, you know, then a winemaker, being a broker. So collected even, uh, uh, but uh, you, you, you picked the name of a very important man, Cordero, that was able even, was uh, he entered in the commission of the uh, Barbaresco and Barolo appellation for judging the wines to be bottled, to give the bottled, to, the, the permit to producers to bottle the wine if the quality was reaching the status. Great guy there to be recognized. And you were friends with Giacomo Bologna before he died. Yes, uh, Giacomo Bologna was uh, the man that uh, put the Barbera on the stage. And uh, absolutely. And uh, Giacomo Bologna had uh, an incredible sensibility. He was able even uh, to reach the confidence of the people uh, poor people, uh, um, uh, 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 simple people, and very rich, and they're putting together on, on the table, and they're socializing all together, uh, and uh, uh, making the wine the connection of, uh, for these people. Because, uh, you know, uh, uh, wine is the most, uh, uh, is the beverage that has the, the larger uh, culture, is, is cultural beverage, and the uh, wine is able to reflect, is the ambassador of the character of an area. So when you taste a wine, you can recognize, uh, if you are a good taster, you can recognize uh, not only the grape variety, but even the kind of climate that are there. And uh, sometimes through the wine, you can even understand the kind of people that uh, makes the wine and uh, the story of, of an area, the tradition or if the, of the area is new. The, the wine is a, an incredible ambassador of all of these events. So Bologna was able, through wine, to socialize the people and to create uh, from, uh, for a people that were attending to uh, his friendship or to his way of being in, in the market or, or creating events and so on, people became crazy of him. was absolutely unique guy. Unique, absolutely. 
and you knew he died in 1990, and there was a big loss for uh, the world of wine there, especially for Barbera, because uh, Barbera sometimes was misunderstood uh, in terms the quality, not always at the level. Sometimes arriving in the in the in the market, uh, low level quality wines and so on. So some conflict, but he was uh, able to raise up the flag of uh, Barbera and uh, to help people to recognize the quality there. And you knew Romano Levy well. Romano Levy was a, a grappa producer, and he was used to making grappa with uh, an alambic of first generation, so direct fire. Uh, it means that the pumices were introduced in a, the alambic, and the fire was direct. So it needs a lot of experience uh, because the direct, non a bagnomaria, not not uh, through water, uh, but the direct fire. So uh, you, uh, the grappa producer has to have a lot of experience in not to burn the. the but uh, I cannot say that his grappa was phenomenal in terms of quality, but was he was phenomenal. Because he was used using labels that he was used writing by hand. All his labels were written by hand. So you understand immediately that the production had to be small, could not be a, 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 a larger production. And what was special that he was able to report, to, to write on a label some aspect, a step of his life. And this was unique. This and uh, uh, he started to attract visitors in the Navy, and uh, there was always a queue of uh, people uh, on a Saturday and Sunday waiting uh, to have the, to, the chance of talking to him and uh, perhaps to buy some bottles because they were rare, not easy to have for, for to, to buy bottles for uh, everybody. Uh, unique, he was able to give value to Grappa. Grappa was considered, you know. Uh, nowadays, and uh, for poor people, you know, popular uh, beverage and so on. And he, he was able to to give a value, to to understand, to help uh, people understanding that uh, was a spirit, but it was uh, the spirit of the place, something special. And that through him, because he was designing the label, the bottles were special. Absolutely. And the last person, your dad, what was he like as a person? What was he like, your dad? My father was a little, was reserved, was not a, a man that you can enter in contact immediately very easy, but uh, very loyal. Uh, he spent the time, he, he was mayor of Barbaresco, uh, major of uh, Barbaresco for, for 25 years, available to work even for other people, for the community. And uh, he had the vision. His way of being an artisan was very appreciated in the area. I never heard a word of my father against one of his colleagues. Never. Even when uh, colleagues were selling the wine Barbaresco at a very low price, that uh, someone could think they are destroying or damaging the image and so on. Never. Only being able to talk well about the colleagues that for him were producing quality wines, but not a word against, against obvious. I, I like this way of being respectful, respectful of the work and the idea that can be different from you, of other people in making wine, because you know, there are a, a different kind of consumers. You know, the attitude of wineries to satisfy, they are different because uh, for the occasional consumer, 
It's important to have a wine sometime. Uh, they would like to uh, spend a, a little bit of money just to have wine. Some other would like to have a, a, a bottle that uh, they can that can satisfy, uh, easy to understand. And, so, and uh, was the habit is different, the, the connoisseur is different, the uh, expert is different. So we have to understand that there are the, the winery are working for different selection a kind of people. So my father uh, was considering respecting uh, the uh, wineries producing wines at low price because there is a request of these wines. Why you have to contrast and so on. Uh, and after he could uh, give a judge and uh, to uh, this wine, but uh, he was not aggressive, you know, and he could consider. And again, for uh, other people that was producing only the best, okay, he was available to taste and so on. But uh, this act, attitude of being tolerant, being respectful of the work of other people that is working different from you in the was chapeau. Angelo Gallo remembers his father quite well, and he's provided for his own family, the future, and also done well for Primante. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Angelo Gaia of the Gaia Winery in Primante, Camarcanda, and Piava Santa Restituta in Tuscany. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.